Well, good evening, everyone. I'll call to order the Monday, May 6, 2019 meeting of the Astoria City Council. Roll call. Chief Retchfield. Councilor Herman? Here. Councilor Brent? Here. Councilor Lester? Here. Councilor Dominic? Here. And Mayor Jones? Here. So we have uh, three proclamations to read tonight. And the first is for Historic Preservation Month. And I'll read it and then I'll ask uh, Rachel Jensen and John Gutenberger to come up and uh, receive it. <laughs> Proclamation. Whereas historic preservation is an effective tool for revitalizing neighborhoods, fostering local pride, and maintaining community character while enhancing livability, and whereas historic preservation is relevant for communities across the nation, both urban and rural, and for people of all ages, walks of life, and ethnic backgrounds, and whereas it is important to celebrate the role of history in our lives and the contributions made by dedicated individuals in helping to preserve the tangible aspects of the heritage that has shaped our community, and whereas we recognize the ongoing local efforts in our community to preserve, maintain, and promote adaptive reuse and restoration projects that are important to Astoria's character and history. And now, therefore, I, Bruce Jones, Mayor of the City of Astoria, do proclaim the month of May 2019 as National Historic Preservation Month and call upon the people of Astoria to join their fellow residents across the United States in recognizing and participating in this special observance. In witness whereof I have herewith set my hand and caused the seal of the city of Astoria to be affixed the sixth day of May, 2019. Signed, Bruce Jones. Thank you, John, very much. You can say something if you I would like to invite all of you to our open house slash unveiling next Wednesday night. Uh, it's our workshop. We finally have a workshop for the preservation uh, school on campus. And that is thanks in part to Lower Columbia Preservation Society. They gave us a grant of $18,000 to get that building in shape and upgraded. It's also in thanks to Joan's husband, John, who redid our machinery and it just purrs now it doesn't make any uh, noise at all so I he was here to hear you. <laughs> well it's it's very true so come on up uh next wednesday at seven o'clock wednesday the 15th at seven o'clock we'll be open for an hour and then we're heading down to the lcp offices on 12th and wayne for a membership meeting thank you uh, the next proclamation is for National Safe Voting Week. Whereas, on average, 650 people die annually in voting-related accidents in the United States, 76% of these fatalities caused by drowning, and whereas the vast majority of these accidents are caused by human error or poor judgment, and not by the vote, equipment, or environmental factors, and whereas basic voting safety procedures, carrying emergency distress and communications equipment, wearing life jackets, checking the weather, the tides and water temperature, and avoiding the use of alcohol on the water and attending safe voting courses saves lives. And whereas a significant number of voters who lose their lives each year would be alive today if they worn their life jackets. Now therefore I, Bruce Jones, Mayor of the City of Astoria, do hereby support the goals of the Safe Voting Campaign, launching the start of the year-round effort to promote <coughs> safe voting and proclaim May 18th through 24th, 2019 as National 
Safe Boating Week. In witness thereof, I urge all those who vote to practice safe boating habits, as I know Councilor Brownson does every time he votes, and wear a life jacket at all times while voting. I have herewith set my hand and caused the seal of the city of Astoria to be affixed the sixth day of May 2019, signed Bruce Jones Mayor. And we'll deliver this to the Coast Guard Auxiliary. I don't believe there's a member of the Coast Guard Auxiliary present. last proclamation will be uh, delivered to uh, local Astorians Lauren and Merle Bruner, and it's for their son. Whereas uh, Captain Eric L. Bruner has served this great nation as part of the United States Coast Guard for the past three years and will retire from the U.S. Coast Guard on Friday, May 17, 2019. And whereas Captain Bruner grew up in the city of Astoria as a proud fighting fisherman and graduate of Astoria High School, and whereas Captain Bruner honed his independence and personal drive exploring the rich forests and lakes, rivers and oceans surrounding Astoria as a football player for Astoria High School and as a movie star making his debut in The Goonies. <laughs> and whereas Captain Bruner forged his deep love and respect of his country, developed his integrity and solidified his commitment to our nation as a part of Astoria, a community that has long embraced the missions of the Coast Guard. And whereas Captain Bruner has led a remarkably distinguished career in the U.S. Coast Guard, ensuring key communications, intelligence, and information systems vital to search and rescue, law enforcement, and homeland security missions were constantly working properly to aid operations and those in distress, including duties as commanding officer of the Coast Guard Communications Area Atlantic and as chief of all Coast Guard operational communications and security for the Atlantic area ranging from the Rocky Mountains to the Middle East. Now therefore I, the Honorable Bruce Jones, by virtue of the authority vested in me as Mayor of the City of Astoria, hereby thank, recognize, and congratulate Captain Bruner for his exemplary service and dedication to our great nation. Signed, Bruce Jones, Mayor. Is there a member of the Bruner family here? I don't think they can make it tonight. So this will be delivered to the Bruner family who are, you may know, local Astorians. Uh, reports of counselors. Yes, uh, well first I guess uh, I'd like to thank uh, Susan and her staff uh, for the work on the budget because uh, the clarity and completeness of, of the presentation and the, the ability to answer the questions in a, in a completely concise manner sure helped with that process of going through our budget. Also the whole uh, staff and department heads, Jimmy and Tim and Jeff and Dan and Jeff, uh, thanks for your input in the work session on homelessness. Uh, I think it's increased all of our understanding of what the, the scope of the problem is. Um, at least we have that better understanding. And Dan also gave us a look at the hazmat capabilities of the fire department. And uh, I got to see what he would do if he wanted to discipline someone. He would make him climb into a hazmat suit three times. Because <laughs> it takes about a half hour. And then the poor guy who did it got home on a call just as he got into the suit. Uh, I got to attend my first meeting as Astoria's representative at the Crest, the Columbia River Estuary Study Team. And for those of you who aren't familiar with it, Crest is uh, in the business of habitat restoration. And they are funded by Bonneville Power, what I think of as the occult money uh, for the, you know, the effects that the, the dam has. 
Uh, I got to go to a, a presentation by the Navy on what they're going to be doing along the West Coast in terms of uh, active sonar and an explosive as part of their training mission. And it's going to be primarily up in the Seattle area, but it also extends down along the Oregon coast. And the difference is, you know, passive sonar used to be submarines made a lot of noise and they could, they could find them with, without having to send out a powerful signal, which they do now. And that has an effect on sea life. And so we talked a lot about mitigation and about the environmental impact statements they had to do. And then finally, uh, just over the weekend, uh, there was a 100th anniversary or 100th birthday concert for Pete Seeger at the PAC. And it was packed. And um, one of the participants was Keith Clark, who most of us know as somebody who conducts the, uh, uh, the classical music at, at the Historian Festival. Uh, Keith was there playing his banjo, I guess, since they had new uh, Pete Seeger. And uh, one thing that Keith said, um, I think, I think stuck with me and, and made me smile, and that is, you know, he's been here a long time conducting classical concerts, but it wasn't until that one that he felt he really got an insight into the community of the story, because there was a strong sense of community at, at that event. So that's my report. Thank you. just the usefulness of the recent work session that we had on homelessness and thanking again all of the department heads for educating myself just on the impact uh, that this multi-layered, complicated, and, and in some ways heartbreaking issue has had, um, again, on all of your departments and your, and your hardworking staff. Uh, if there's one thing I hear over and over again, it's that it's a national issue that's not going to get solved overnight, um, even though there's a lot of urgency around it. I just think that these types of discussions with everybody involved, um, everybody from the department heads, their staff, um, to individuals experiencing homelessness, to people that work with them, um, those kinds of conversations are critical for us to know how to be able to support one another um, through this. So I just really appreciated that work session and I know that the council is going to have dedicate at least one more work session um, to, that, to that issue as well. Um, I also want to uh, really clap a little bit more for, the, for Rachel um, and John, the Lower Columbia Preservation Society. Um, I'm a huge advocate for historic preservation and the Clatsop Community College's Historic Preservation Program, just as a, an owner of a historic building downtown, they've been instrumental in, in helping us um, do some of the repairs uh, that honor the building's historic integrity. And um, the, the organization, the AAMC, um, we require at least one of <coughs> two of our board members to take that workshop every quarter, and it's just incredible uh, what that program does. So, um, I went to the Oswald West Beach cleanup on the 27th. That's way out of my ward, <laughs> but Oswald was my great great uncle, so that was that's a special place for me, and it was uh, really wonderful to do. 
Um, also got to go to the FFA, Future Farmers of America, um, annual banquet since their chapters since been reinstated last Thursday at the Clatsop County Fairgrounds. It was an incredible turnout, a huge amount of excitement. Um, I grew up in 4-H and, and did FFA all through high school, and so I'm really excited about the work that those young folks are doing and um, just Lynn Jackson getting up and, and talking about how much the program is going to grow. So that was very exciting. And uh, lastly, I'll just thank um, my fellow counselors to coming to the Astoria Arts and Movement Center benefit night at the Fort George Brewery last Tuesday. It was just nice to see uh, some of you out from behind this desk and thank Mayor Jones for your help with the raffle. So, <laughs> Um, that's all I have. Thank you. Councilor Johnson. <coughs> um, not too much. I, I did want to comment again. I, we, as mentioned, we had budget committee meetings, and again, really great work done by staff in preparing the budget and made it really easy for us to work through and uh, in some detail uh, and ask important questions and, and move forward with it. So, looking forward to passing that near future. Also, um, I did get a chance to go to uh, uh, Cinco de Mayo event at the Liberty Theater. I had the uh, audacity to think that I could go to the dinner and just drop in and, and give them my $20, but they were sold out. And that was great. And uh, so I did stay for the concert. Well, it was a concert. They had a great marimba band, a really good marimba band as well as the uh, young people doing traditional uh, uh, dances from Mexico. So a really a great event, really a nice turnout too. I was, really, I was really happy with seeing all that in, in our community and, and the, it's part of how the, I feel this community um, welcomes diversity. And finally, I am glad it's National Safe Book Week. I wasn't aware of that and it's appropriate because this is the, this coming week um, I don't know how many people know it, but the Oregon Offshore International Yacht Race takes place starting here in Astoria and ending in Victoria, BC. Uh, it's been an annual event for many years, and uh, I've done it myself not doing it this year, which I'm grateful for. Um, but boat safety is hugely important in this community, and to do the right thing when you're out there. And, you know, we do have the Coast Guard, we've got some great services, but uh, you don't want to put them to work. You want to do the right, prepare yourself and, and uh, equip yourself appropriately and be educated and knowledgeable about some very tricky waters out here. And with that, thank you. Yes. Um, two days after we last met, I attended a meeting of all of the principals involved in the waterfront bridge construction project, so city officials and merchants, some of whom have been pretty severely impacted by this project that has to happen, um, but it's still difficult on the businesses. And I, I felt it was a really positive and constructive meeting. It gave the merchants an opportunity to ask questions directly of one of the, I believe he was a project manager from ODOT, as well as the city manager, and I really, and Public Works Director Jeff Harrington, I really appreciate all of you being there. Of course you would be, but thank you anyway. And I especially want to thank Assistant City Engineer Cindy Moore, who 
who organized the meeting, and that meant getting a lot of very busy schedules coordinated. So I think, I suspect it meant a lot for merchants to know that they could ask questions and that they were heard. So thank you. Um, I also participated in my first budget process, which was very educational. And there were some really interesting line items in the, a city budget uh, with such diverse services as we offer. I wish I could think of some of the more comical ones. I find them comical because they were so arcane, but not for a city. So anyway, that was very educational. And in the span of five days, to illustrate what a wonderful city we live in and how much cultural opportunities we have here, despite our small size, I got to witness belly dancing at Fort George, um, attend a wonderful Cinco de Mayo festival, including a fabulous, and I know that's a superlative, but they really were, mariachi band, including one member who's from Seaside, um, for, again, the Cinco de Mayo fundraiser for the Lord Columbia Hispanic Council. And then I also attended the 100th birthday tribute to folk musician Pete Seeger, uh, which really ended up being a sing-along of about 100 plus folks at the PAC. So um, we are, I'm really blessed to be here. I'm also very much looking forward to meeting the two finalists for the community development director's position on Wednesday, which is at 5.30, probably city manager. I see you're gonna mention this, but it's 5.30 um, this Wednesday in room 219. Uh, uh, Columbia Hall at Clatsop College. So it's a great opportunity to meet the candidates, ask questions of them, hear from them, and get an impression of what you think. And then my last point that I wanted to make um, is I wanted to congratulate Sarah Lukeith, the Executive Director of the Downtown Association, for securing a substantial grant um, to restore to its historic character the backside of Penny's, the old J.C. Penny's building on Duane Street. So it's one more step in the renaissance of Duane. And I think in five years, that street, it's starting to hop now, but I think it's gonna be hopping even more. And congratulations, building owner Sean Fitzpatrick. We're looking forward to what you can do there. Great, thank you. Uh, yeah, so you may have noticed that uh, Blair Hanning's guard looks a little different tonight. <laughs> Blair's on vacation, if you're wondering who the man next to Ray is, that's Josh, Josh Stillman, Ruth, a local attorney who's taking Blair's place during his absence, so thank you for being here tonight. Happy to be here. Uh, great. And yeah, I also uh, had the pleasure of going to the Cinco de Mayo, the Lower Columbia Hispanic Council did a great job of that. They, uh, they, they had dinner upstairs in the McTavish room at $20 a head and sold out, sold all tickets that the day of the event, they were all sold out, so they did a great job with fundraising and the festivities afterwards were really nice as well. Saturday night I had the pleasure uh, of attending the Clatsop Community College uh, annual fundraiser with uh, several other people here in, in the room. Really nice event. I'm pretty sure they were sold out because Patriot Hall was full. I mean, all this, every table and chair down there was, was full. And lots of people gave very generously, either with straight out donations or purchasing auction items and those local businesses and individuals who donated auction items. And a really a very moving uh, talk by one of the nursing graduates who's currently a hospice nurse about her experience as a suddenly single mom needing to find a career and 
being able to take advantage of scholarships through classic community and, and get her degree, now a master's degree, and uh, really just a, what an asset it is for our community to have this great community college right here. And I really applaud everyone who supports CCC. Uh, I also attended the, the bridge meeting with local business owners, and I appreciate everyone else who came to that. <coughs> and about two and a half weeks ago, United Way of Clatsop County had their annual day of carrying. I know many of you volunteered at, there were six different locations. I chose to go with uh, the Parks Department over to Ocean View Cemetery, and we had the Regatta Court and about 16 other teenagers who I frequently asked to help me pick up heavy stuff because I'm getting old. But we, the, uh, there are hundreds of headstones there, the, the headstones that lie horizontally on the ground rather than vertically, and they, over time, they sink into the dirt, and many of them have disappeared or are barely visible. And so we managed to dig up about 50 of them and put build up the sand under them and then lay them back down again so they're now visible. And hopefully we can do that again for too long and get another 50 uh, done. Also attended the host meeting. I appreciate everyone else being there as well. Lots to learn for all of us and hopefully we can make a difference in the future to support our uh, homeless members of our local area. And also, since the, our last meeting three weeks ago, uh, Congresswoman Suzanne Bonamici came and had a town hall meeting at, at Classic Community College and had the pleasure of introducing her. I saw many of you there, and as always, she was generous with her time and answering questions. And then finally, I had a nice uh, long conversation with Senator Betsy Johnson a couple of weeks ago. I gave her a call to discuss the legislation moving through Salem on uh, prohibiting single-use plastic bags and expressed to her that that uh, I hoped that the state would uh, go ahead and pass that legislation at the state level. Uh, and it's really not efficient to have 75 different jurisdictions trying to pass their own ordinances. And the latest intelligence I have as of today is there's a, a very strong likelihood of that legislation passing. So we'll, we'll be listening to see how that goes. So, Mr. Estes, are there uh, any changes to the agenda? No changes. And consent calendar. The items on the consent calendar are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion unless a member of the council requests to have an item considered separately. Members of the community may have an item removed if they contact the city manager by 5 p.m. the day of the meeting. Have any items been requested to be removed by the public? No requests. And have any counselors, do any counselors want to have an item removed? Okay. In that case, I'd ask for a motion to approve the uh, consent calendar. I move we uh, approve the consent calendar. I second that. Okay, and uh, roll call by uh, Chief Spaulding. Council Brown? Yes. Council Brown? Aye. Council West? Aye. Council Rodgers? Aye. Aye. Regular agenda items. All agenda items are open for public comment following deliberation by the City Council. Uh, rather than ask for public comment after each agenda item, I'll ask audience members to raise their hands if they wish to speak to the agenda item. And if you do, you'll be recognized. In order to respect everyone's time, we ask you limit your comments to three minutes. And if you do come to the podium, please state your name and your address. Uh, item 7A is addition of job title for Schedule F2 of the salary resolution. So each year the engineering division of the Public Works Department uh, includes funds in their budget for extra help to accommodate uh, things such as uh, 
hiring an intern for assistance on a variety of public works tasks. Often the engineering division has part-time staffing needs that may exceed uh, the experience or skill that is typically expected from an intern. So to be able to address this, um, in addition, the addition of a temporary part-time position of an engineering project assistant is proposed to assist with these variety of tasks related to utility improvement design, review of city as-built maps, and other tasks uh, assisting uh, with review and efficient processing of data. Before a position can be posted, the creation of a job description is required. And what is before you tonight is uh, that job description. The job recruitment for this position would commence upon city council approval of this uh, job description as noted in the packet. Tonight it's recommended that council approve the addition of the engineering project assistant job title and duties utilizing schedule F2 range 3 as indicated in the salary resolution 18-14. And our public works director Jeff Harrington or our city engineer Nathan Craver can answer any questions you have. Any discussion? I'd like to make a motion to for the addition of the job project to schedule F2 of the salary resolution number 18-14. I'll second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Item 7B is a resolution to update wage and salary schedules. So the building official code enforcement officer position is a full-time position which was last filled in October of 2018 and our current building official has accepted a position elsewhere and will be leaving the city of Astoria. Uh, during our last recruitment, it was difficult to attract fully qualified candidates with the current salary range and to allow for annual increases. So in order to assist with a successful recruitment and provide a competitive wage, it's necessary to implement a change in the position range, salary range prior to this recruitment. As a part of a larger review and in compliance with the State of Oregon Equal Pay Act requirements, the city analyzes positions as well for reasonable wage levels. The salary range for the building official code enforcement officer is proposed to move from range 38 to range 40. I would note that uh, through the budget hearings, we talked about uh, some of these items uh, during the, the budget hearings. This is one of the positions that was planned uh, to be adjusted. Um, and so what uh, staff is requesting is to move this forward now to be able to recruit at the higher level. Uh, so this was included in, in next year's budget. Uh, I would also note that there have been some additions and modifications that have been approved by council um, and other actions but have just never been incorporated into the uh, salary resolution and those positions are noted in your agenda as long, along with the approval date by council. So there's some housekeeping uh, that needed to happen as well. We just took care of that as a part of this action. It's recommended that council approve the revised salary range contained in the attached resolution for the building official code enforcement officer, as well as the others as noted as housekeeping matters. Great. I do have one question. Sure. Will this these updates bring our latest salaries in line with comparably sized municipalities? Um, it'll bring it you know, closer in, uh, to them. Um, I think it's uh, it's depth when we're looking at other jurisdictions, it's, it's going to be you know, definitely closer. Are we going to be the highest? I would say no, we will not be the highest. 
But we'll be in there? We'll be in there. Okay. That was kind of my question too, and my other one was I recall it being discussed in the budget. Um, so I'm glad that you confirmed that it has been included in that. Um, what I know that the the individual leaving the position um, took a position in another area, and that we the salary. This is kind of related to Joan's question. Was you know we we were looking at what we offered versus what they offered and that is what it was in, considered to be in a comparable area we're no. not comparing our salaries to Portland and places no. like that I know but no we we're, we're looking at smaller um, rural Oregon communities this is what we would be focusing on um, not looking at metropolitan right. area salaries but even within the smaller rural ones we're a little yes. currently a little yes okay. yes so this will address that. Yes. Thank you. Well, could I have a motion? Well, I will move that we approve the resolution to update the wage and salary schedules. I'll second. Okay, roll call. Ms. Brooks. Council Brown. Aye. Council Brown. Aye. Council West. Aye. Council Rockin. Aye. Mayor Jones. Aye. Item 7C is licensed to occupy for 614 Jerome Avenue. Mr. David Tennant. So the city has received a request from David Tennant, who owns the property uh, as noted, and they are proposing to occupy a portion of the 6th Street right away in order to demolish an existing garage and reconstruct a new garage. Our public works staff reviews these requests and they have recommended a license to occupy for the proposed improvements. Uh, they have also noted some conditions. Uh, that are proposed should council approve this, and those conditions are, are noted on the first page of the staff report. Uh, Mr. Tennant is aware of and agreeable with these conditions. So tonight, it's recommended that council approve a license to occupy subject to the conditions noted for a 25 by 25 foot portion of the 6th Street right-of-way adjacent to 614 Jerome Avenue. I think it sounds fine. I think the list of conditions are uh, reasonable and adequate and covering potential contingencies uh, having to do with how he does the construction. And um, since there's already a building there and just replacing it, I don't see any reason not to extend this. Well, the conditions also are that if they're needed by the city, then they have to take the building down and return them. So, yeah. I'm, I believe our, our uh, public works director has clarification perhaps. It looks like we have an incorrect map for some reason. Um, your package is correct now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, what, is the, what the outlines are on the map up here are the yeah. some of the existing what outlines, existing. Okay. right? And then what is what is proposed is the 25 by 25 foot portion of license to occupy area, which is noted in the. Right. Any else? Well, motion. 
accommodate once. I thought he did. I did not. No, I didn't. But I will um, like to move to uh, approve the license to occupy a portion of the Sixth Street right of way adjacent to 614 Jerome Avenue to uh, David Kennedy. I will second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Item 7D is uh, child care tuition discount policy for city employees. So in 2013, full and part-time parks and recreation employees were granted a 50% discount for child care costs at the City of Astoria's Little Sprouts Academy. And this was done at the time to increase the recruitment of individuals interested in working for the Parks and Recreation Department and reduce staff turnover. Um, I um, was talking to a, a counselor beforehand and then there was a question asked you know, as to um, you know, when this policy was discussed, kind of what was the scenario that was happening? And at the time, there was a prior uh, city manager uh, who uh, sat in this uh, in this space with a, uh, a different parks and recreation director. And from what I understand is that there was difficulty in retaining and recruiting staff for the parks department at that time. And so, as a way to be able to uh, retain and recruit park staff. Uh, this benefit was uh, was uh, put in place for those parks department employees uh, to be able to address those staffing needs at, at that point in time. So um, I would note, though, that after this was put in place, this policy um, has been discussed um, by staff and and also by uh, prior councils um, about trying to address this more on a citywide basis. And so the policy before you has been prepared in order to provide greater equity and benefits uh, offered to all the city employees. And the, uh, at the same time, it's recognized that there are existing parks and recreation staff, both full-time and part-time, who are receiving this 50% dis discount and wanting to be able to honor commitments that were made earlier. However, uh, what is proposed uh, at, uh, as part of this policy is that uh, for all new employees, either parks or any other department, they would be offered a 20% discount um, for any uh, child care over at uh, Little Sprouts. I would note for full-time care, this does not include part-time care, it includes people who sign up to have uh, the full-time uh, care package, uh, if you want to call it, uh, over, at the, over at Little Sprouts. So um, this uh, policy was developed in conjunction with uh, the Parks Department staff as well as the Finance Department staff. Um, they have been working for some time to be able to work on something which would, could be recommended as uh, something which is uh, effective as a, a benefit for city employees, uh, while at the same time not uh, providing a, a fiscal drain on the program and trying to have something which is financially equitable. So it's recommended tonight that city council adopt the daycare discount policy as noted and uh, between myself uh, and our finance director Susan Brooks and our parks director Tim Williams would be glad to answer any questions. Thank you. Well, I'll start. Um, 
I don't want to sound like a Scrooge, but I probably will. The 50% discount sounds pretty high. Um, I'm just wondering how many employees get that now? Sigis Parks Department employees, part-time and full-time. Okay, but I thought um, there were only five spots for city employees in the uh, loops routes, or did I misread that? I'm trying to see. Yes, seven. 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 seven spaces. Oh, okay, I missed that. It. Um, I just I mean, are we contractually obligated to continue that and do? I don't want to take something away from that, but it does seem excessive. Yeah, it's it's not contractually obligated. Okay, and does the fifty percent cover the cost? Well, no, it's a 50% discount of the... Right, I understand, but I mean, does it cover the sales the... cost to provide the service? No, no. Okay, all right. Um, and then the other question I had, if, uh, say, we don't have seven employees who want to take advantage of the discount, um, what happens to, say, if we have a space or two open for a city employee, does that space sit unused until we do have a city employee? No. Okay, it is taken. Right. So by a member of the public? That's correct. Okay, thanks. Uh, I guess I can see this as a pretty effective recruitment tool. Uh, child care is, is absolutely essential for young families. And if we're going to attract young family workers to our workforce here, uh, child care is pretty important. I, I, I think the thing that concerns me and I would like to see us address is that we know already that the demand for child care in those sprouts far exceeds the supply. And as we move forward, I think either through encouraging private business to, to step up and provide uh, child care or expanding our own program, I'd like to see us have more slots available for people, which I think would answer partly with what Joan is concerned about, uh, that we not spring people out. But I, there's a long waiting list now. And uh, you know, I think that that's something that deserves our attention as a, as a, a council and a staff. But it's, it's, a, it's certainly a young family looking for a place to light, uh, having children cared for. It's just essential. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Councillor Rocca, and uh, I, I think it's uh, perfectly appropriate for uh, an organization like ours to offer benefits to its employees to attract good employees and retain good employees. And there was one question raised by a member of the public regarding uh, you know, use of a discount for city employees that all other residents aren't entitled to. And, and again, it comes back to, you know, Good employers take care of the people, and we're offering a, a discount for our hardworking employees. And I, the fact that it it won't take more than ten percent of the total spaces, I think, and addresses that issue. And I agree again that we should do everything we can to try to increase the amount of childcare available throughout the community. Yeah, and I agree that fifty uh, percent is very generous, and, but that you know this is just a small group and they will age out and you, you make a commitment to an employee make a commitment and you stick to it in my opinion. Uh, I think 20% is fair and reasonable it's not overly and, and it's still just not a lot of positions uh, even available 
So, uh, and they will have to be judged by all the criteria that anyone else who is applying. So, it seems like a, a, some work has been done to make fair uh, to our people and to the public uh, in, in vying for these positions. So, um, I'm all for it. I think this cleans up something that was a little disjointed. Yeah, I would agree with, um, well, really everybody's points. Uh, I, I too, I thought when I looked at the 50% number was surprised that, that the discount was so high. Um, but it's, you definitely, again, don't want to take something away from people who have been relying on that for however many years. So um, in finding out that it was only six employees who've essentially been grandfathered in um, and will keep that. Uh, that that made me feel a lot better, both about the size of the discount and then moving towards a more sustainable um, option. So 20% sounds more doable for the program as a whole, but I, I definitely think that childcare is a priority um, for the entire council. So. Well, I would move that we adopt the attached daycare discount policy. Mayor, may I make one more comment? Is it too late? I, I don't want anybody to misunderstand my comments. I completely support this program. I, I think bringing everyone under the 20% discount is fair, much more fair. So, so that, you know, only, so that not only some employees are getting access to this program, it was just the 50% that I took issue with. Cemetery, mass, cemetery Master Plan RFP for Ocean View Cemetery. So an adopted goal of the City Council for fiscal years 19 through 21 is to explore options to enhance long-term financial sustainability of the Parks Department, including but not limited to a cemetery's facilities master plan. So staff has researched the process of developing and enacting a cemetery master plan through outreach to some municipalities who provide similar services. So our park staff has developed a request for proposal for a cemetery's master plan that includes the critical information uh, which is felt that's needed to be gathered and facilitated and that is noted on the first page of the memorandum. Our uh, parks director, Ken Williams, can talk a little bit more about this. Uh, both he and Jonah Dark-McLean uh, have been working on this request for proposals in, a, in coordination with our public work staff who do this um, more frequently and, and, and their assistance has been, I know, uh, helpful in, in our, with our parks department staff in moving this forward. You may recall that there was uh, some money included in the current fiscal year uh, budget for cemetery master plan. However, we had some repairs uh, that emergency repairs that are needed on some uh, pool equipment, uh, and that money that had been put aside had to be used uh, for that swimming pool equipment. Uh, what was communicated to the city council is to be able to demonstrate that uh, we are moving forward on a similar council goal for this current fiscal year that we would uh, start 
in the issuance of the request for proposal this current fiscal year with the intent of bringing back a contract next fiscal year uh, should council ultimately approve the budget uh, which has capital improvement funds uh, included for this project. So it's recommended that council review the scope of work and in agreement authorize staff to release the request for proposals for the development of the Ocean View Cemetery Facilities Master Plan. Um, I have one question. So I know in the memo it noted that there are approximately 30 acres of the cemetery that are undeveloped and then the balance. Is the master plan going to look only at those other acres that are currently developed as a cemetery, or will it look at those <coughs> remaining 30 acres and the, op the options for that as well? It'll, it'll look at the, the entire piece of property. Okay, great, thank you. This is slightly unrelated, but um, Mr. Williams, is the, is the UV, and I could probably look this up myself, but the UV filtration system is current, that's in process right now, and the pool is closed, I'm assuming, until yeah, they started the, the replacement of the filter today. So they, they've got that out right now. Um, the pool, the recreation pool with the, with the slide, uh, it is currently closed. But all the rest of the amenities are open. The kitty pool, the spa, and the lap pool are all still open during this construction period. I guess uh, I would just appreciate that you know, just uh, assuming this master plan is done and we have it in hand, um, and what does that enable us to do uh, more effectively than, than now, for example, and sort of plain, plain language? It will give us the direction of where we want to go with the, with the cemetery. You know, as the mayor was saying, there's some uh, acreage over there that's undeveloped as far as the cemetery goes. It may give us some leads on how that that property could be used. It, it'll assess if we're doing the right practices out there at the cemetery, right maintenance schedules, um, you know, uh, uh, addressing the, the internments, you know, the procedures that we do out there, and also the fees. It'll look at the fees and see if we're competitive with other cemeteries within the region. So the idea then is to hire certified with smart people to smart in this particular area of expertise to kind of help us plot out what the future should be for that. Yeah, we're hoping we can attract a good uh, firm to, to do that for us through this process. Uh, people that are in that industry that know how, how that, that type of business works, that's what we're striving to get. So, Councilor Roth, I'd like to you know, be able to add, you know, as uh, the mayor noted and then Mr. Williams noted about this additional acreage, We've had some interest from individuals uh, to be able to purchase that land. And the council uh, over time as, as the cities had some uh, questions as to whether or not that's the right thing to do. Um, while it would uh, provide a financial benefit to do some capital improvements, the monies from that sale would go into the most likely the cemetery capital fund. Uh, to be able to do some, some additional improvements, the question has been, um, is that land really even suitable for a cemetery? And does it make sense uh, to be able to sell that land to be able to do something different? Um, you know, a thing that I would note is that um, my father is buried in the city's cemetery in Texas, 
and they actually um, have gone into doing niches um, for uh, cremation burials. Meaning, I'm, I'm going to call it high density housing for those who pass away. So, and so, so those are some things that I think that that um, you know we're going to be able to look at is what are some of those those newer trends uh, in the uh, cemetery um, business. Um, and does it make sense for us financially, especially looking in the future, to be able to maybe look at investing in some of those those different areas that may be more um, more contemporary in terms of, of how things uh, work? And so some of the, those various trends will be looked at as a part of this uh, as part of the process. Yeah, I'm really interested in in the making that cemetery economically viable and maintainable. And of course, that's been our real issue, is being able to have resources to maintain uh, what we have in a reasonable way and, and going forward to find a way to get there so that we can do a better job than we've done in the past. Uh, and I like that we're exploring new ways to use the property for more contemporary uh, burials. And, uh, Actually, a little curious about how some of that turns out. And I was also wondering, um, I'm assuming you would be having conversations with uh, local mortuaries and, and kind of get their input and, and, and how they to try and get them to find ways to in, in help their business and, and, and use the cemetery at the same time. So I'm, I think this is really a good idea because it's so hard to figure out that cemetery when it's just us as the city to, to deal with it. So thank you. I, of course, support this. I think it's a great idea. We need to know uh, what we don't know and what we can do, as Tom said, to make the cemetery economical. And I know we talked about this probably during the budget process, but I can't remember, is the cemetery self-supporting? No, it's not. Okay. It is not um, in that um, at this point in time, um, it would be self-supporting when interest rates are much higher because what happens is when individuals purchase plots, a portion of that, that purchase amount goes into an irreducible fund, uh, which generates the interest by which the cemetery operates. So in the 1980s, when interest rates were above 10%, um, the cemetery looked really good. Um, and now when interest rates are um, closer to three, oh, no. two point, yeah. two point some two, yeah, depending on where you have your money. Yeah, two point some odd percent. Cool is 2.75. 2.75 percent is, is what we're generating right now. That's what we're having to be able to sustain. So um, one of the things, you know, that always, that comes off uh, this question Kind of recently is, um, you know, um, why, you know, this, and I think the cemetery has the care of the cemetery has improved over the years. That our parks department has been able to spend more time to be able to um, address those issues. Um, but the thing is, is it really is our city of Astoria general fund um, and that is offsetting that the citizens of Astoria are supporting um, the care of the of the the cemetery through their own property tax dollars for that cemetery which is located outside of our city limits. And I have just one more question, and this will show my ignorance. 
so I don't ask this antagonistically either, Director Williams, but I know there's a wide range for the study, somewhere between fifty dollars and $100,000, the master plan. Um, $100,000 is what the county and cities just paid for the housing study. Just, again, my ignorant self thinks, well, that would be much more complicated to, to do. So I'm wondering why it might cost as much as $100,000. Yeah, we've talked with other municipalities and agencies about they're, they've done, that have done master plans and we get them in that range, fifty to 100000 So that's what we anticipate on this one, too. Okay. Well, I'd like to make a motion. And that motion would be to, uh, to authorize a request of proposals for the development of the Ocean View Cemetery Facilities Master Plan. I'll second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? <laughs> and the final item on the agenda tonight is the authorization to award a contract for the 2019 timber sale at the Fat Buck Creek Combo Harvest. So, um, as was noted at your April 1st, 2019 meeting, a shelterwood and thinning forest harvest project is proposed for 33 acres on the Bear Creek watershed for this summer. Council authorized staff in April to solicit bids for the project and call for bids were advertised and bid packets were sent. On April 19th, the city received two responsive bids as noted in your packet from Hampton Tree Farms and Stimson Lumber. Hampton Tree Farms was the highest bidder at $335,164.22. Uh, the uh, project itself uh, would be coordinated with our city forester, Ben Hayes, and Ben is in the back, and is here to talk a little bit more about the project. Uh, but ultimately, it's recommended tonight that Council authorize the award of the 2019 Fat Buck Creek Combo Harvest to Hampton Tree Farms. I'm just going to quickly walk through uh, what the project looks like again and kind of the steps we've taken to get to where we are. So, uh, there we are in the top <coughs> left, and you can actually see the bridge quite clearly across from the city of Astoria. The watershed's in the bottom right corner of the image, uh, outlined in kind of light red. Um, you can actually see one of the reservoirs there in the bottom right. Zooming in, uh, this is what our watershed looks like. It's almost 4,000 acres, and we own the entirety of that watershed, which is very unique throughout the state. And the proposed harvest for this year is kind of on the northern boundary there. Zooming in further, uh, we've kept it away from streams and reservoirs uh, and on an existing road system. And this is a close-up. A shelter wood is a harvest type that removes enough of the volume to regenerate new trees. We also will supplant that with some planting of western red cedar. And then thinning, we're going through and taking out just some of the trees in order to allow the remaining trees to put on additional growth. And that in particular works very well with the carbon project that the city's been involved with since 2015. So you're helping that existing stand actually increase growth. And then removing some volume we can sell, and that goes into long wood products. So things like two by fours and construction lumber. Um, the steps we do, I wanted to walk through really quickly how we get to this stage that we have a inventory that was done in 2015 for the entire property. And that tells us roughly how many trees there are and how big they are. 
but that's a statistical sample that has relatively few sample points. So we do another inventory right before putting this out to bid, and the bidders receive an inventory. And so in the past, we've had a question of variability of the number coming in exactly at the number that is in your packet versus higher than that number and lower. And our inventories are accurate within 20%. So it's reasonable to expect that it would be somewhere plus or minus 20%, but we can't go out and count every single tree ahead of time. And then also there are variables in terms of what does the actual harvest look like in terms of the logs that are taken out. So just wanted to mention that as we uh, look at doing this project this summer. So happy to take any questions. I've got a question. Yeah. Um, I know that a number of these trees you said in our report that we received have been affected by the Swiss needle cast fungus. Yes. But they're still valuable to mills apparently. Yes, they are. So the Swiss needle cast, unless it completely kills the tree, which is actually fairly rare, it basically stops the growth. So it decreases the vascular capacity of the plant to the point where it's not really putting on growth every year. But the wood in the tree is still perfectly good. Um, at some point, if it actually died, after a year or two, that's no longer valuable to the sawmill. And you also mentioned in our report, which I found really interesting, because a lot of people will, will hear, oh, the city's logging the watershed. Um, but you mentioned that increasing the understory by Selective thinning will actually increase water filtration. Yeah, or so it should. I should talk a little bit about this. There are our long-term objectives with working on the watershed are to improve resilience of the landscape and its ecological capacity to provide high-quality, significant quantities of water. And a bunch of research, actually, the EPA funded and yeah. north of here, uh, has shown that kind of an older forest structure is able to increase base flow significantly. So when we're having these long, dry summers, that's what we're looking for, is can you actually increase that base flow by leaving big legacy trees, but also having young trees in the system. So that's the other piece is, if you have a disease or pest or pathogen come through and attack hemlock, for instance, we don't want to have a property that's all hemlock, and then you don't have any trees left. We want to have a diversity of species in order to be resilient to kind of natural disturbance that could come into that system. Great, and just for those who didn't hear this, the last time Ben was here speaking about our the, the trees in the watershed, you used no um, pesticides, herbicides in the watershed. Yeah, and actually, so we have no herbicides, pesticides. We also do not burn our slash piles, which is common practice. And then the watershed is FSC stewardship, Forest Stewardship Council certified. And actually, even Jeff doesn't know that we passed our audit this morning with flying colors. So uh -huh. good news. <laughs> well, thank you. I really appreciate the way you're managing the watershed. Yeah, I do as well. And I found the report really excellent. And then the last uh, visit to the council, I um, really appreciated everything that you had to say. I think our watershed is so, like you said, so unique. Um, my, I also had some of the questions about the fungus that Joan brought up. Are you finding that there I know that you guys do um, plant a good variety of trees, like you mentioned. Are you finding that the western red cedar or hemlock, are, are there any that are resistant to that, or is it just? Yeah, so hemlock and western red cedar do not get Swiss needle cast. That's a disease of Douglas fir primarily. It can affect other species, but it's very rare. Um, the hemlock so far is quite resistant to anything we have in the region. There was a large episode of something called the hemlock looper 
about 30, 40 years ago, 40, 50 years ago. Um, we have not seen widespread hemlock looper in the North Coast since then, yet it's probably the largest concern we have, and it's a bug that attacked hemlock, and their solution then was to spray DDT over, I think about 35,000 acres of Clatsop County, uh, which would not be acceptable today. Um, and then Western Red Cedar is actually the most, what we call phenotypically plastic, so it has a wide range of where it can live and conditions it can live with, and it's very resistant to basically any blight or insect that we have in the region. The problem is it's very difficult to grow it because elk really like eating them. Um, so it's the challenge that we're confronted with. As we look at climate change in particular, western red cedar probably has a wider plasticity so it can deal with a wider variety of conditions than most other species we're looking at up there. And what, and I think you mentioned this last time, but what percentage um, is uh, hemlock of the watershed right now? I'd have to look at the inventory to get an exact number, but I believe it's upwards of 50%. That's, I think that's what it was last time. Yeah, I can get that number for you. Thank you. Well, a lot of people want to look to Scandinavia for a new paradigm for how we manage forests in Oregon. And I think they need to look no further than the Astoria watershed. And I would like to move that we authorize the award of the contract for the 2019 timber sale at the Fat Buck Creek Combo <laughs> Harvest. I will second that. Thank you for that, Roger. And I understand that motion is to Hampton Tree Farms LLC, correct? Mayor, there's a question in the back. Yes, Mr. Fry, speak. You may. Chris Ferrar. I live at 3023 Harrison Avenue in Astoria. And, you know, I like what I heard so far about the forest plan. The one thing I would say that's lacking in our watershed forest is adequate monitoring. And so if we're actually doing these harvest plans and thinnings and shelter wood cuttings and so on to improve water quality and the quantity of water, then why not? Uh, before the harvests are done, um, plan ahead and get a year or so of streamflow measurements and water quality characteristics. And then after you've done the harvest, do it periodically to see which method actually works the best. I suggest that you could improve through, it, it's, it's a standard practice actually, to, uh, it's adaptive management. You, you try a management strategy that seems reasonable, and then you follow up with monitoring and you learn how effective that, that practice has been. And then you adjust your management to improve even further. So we've got a good system, and we can even make it better. And, and that's my only suggestion, just do more monitoring. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. Farrar. So we had to. I, can, to say something, so I, can, I can just really quickly yeah. cover, that's an excellent comment um, and something I, I agree that we should be doing more of, and I can just cover really quickly what we do in terms of monitoring. Uh, that we do have a forest inventory that's measuring and monitoring the actual stock of wood standing in the woods, as well as carbon. That's a big piece of what we're looking at. And then in terms of stream monitoring, we actually spent a lot of time about a year ago working with USGS um, and 
local groups to look at what it would take to put a stream gauge into Bear Creek. And in particular, we want to be able to do uh, large-scale modeling of stream flow, rainflow runoff model, um, but it requires having that uh, monitoring station. And after the system was upgraded, we actually have a much better ability to, through the intake system for the water system itself, know how much water is coming out of that watershed. And so that's improved what we're doing. We're continuing to work with Sustainable Northwest out of Portland to do that modeling and analyze kind of what silvicultural trade-offs might look like into the future, as well as how successful is our forestry um, in terms of accomplishing the goals we want to accomplish. Thank you. Mayor, I thought of one more question. Please. Um, is the yield, uh, the net revenue to the city of about 310,000, is that about 100,000 more than what we were initially expecting? Yeah, so it is, it, Again, that estimated revenue um, is higher. Um, this is a case where the bids uh, came in more than what was initially uh, possibly thought. So there, um, maybe, great. you know, Mr. Hayes, if you want to talk a little bit about kind of the, the market uh, variabilities yeah. that, that trigger that, so. So the timber market over the last year has become very, very volatile. And uh, there are a whole bunch of factors that I'm not going to cover why that's the case. But when we were putting the initial proposal out, we anticipated that the market would be more depressed than it was. The market came up dramatically as log supply in Pacific Northwest mills dwindled, and they're building lumber capacity as housing starts to go up. So basically, lumber and housing starts are very closely tied. In addition to that, our inventory came in higher than anticipated. Um, so at the end of the day, we had more wood available than we thought. But Mr. Harrington wants to. <laughs> I was just going to add uh, a number. Number one, just backing up on what Ben said, is we have to realize the additional revenue first. But what we've been talking about as staff um, is to hold that in a reserve for for the capital improvement fund. That you know, just in case next year we have number one, it may be uh, a worse market, or number two, um, Ben's in, in part of uh, increasing the um, complexity of the watershed talked about some stewardship projects, projects where we might do the type of thinning that doesn't yield profitable lumber, you know, lumber that, that would just stay there on the ground and be used for habitat, right? Um, so those might not yield as much profit. So this little extra revenue maybe going into next year can give us the strategy to, to do some more uh, productive stewardship cuts. Yeah. And there's not a change to the budget that's proposed. This is just be a, um, at the end, increased revenue that this was not initially um, budgeted for. That's a good thing. <laughs> okay, thank you. So there was a motion and a second to award the 2019 Fat Buck Creek Timber Harvest to Hampton Trees Farm LLC. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? So that ends the formal agenda, and now I would invite any, invite any members of the public who wish to make public comment on any other topic to please come to the podium, state your name and your address, and there will be a three-minute timer on the screen. Is there anyone in the public who wishes to make a comment? I'm Craig Davidson, 1443, 14th Street. Um, I'm glad to hear of your conversation with Senator Johnson regarding uh, busing bag there. It sounds pretty positive. That's what you took away from it, I guess. And I think the council is now assuming that we're going to wait 
Florida, them to make their move. Even if it takes 90 or 20 days or whatever, you know, that's, that's the position of the council. It's almost like, first of all, I think we could lend, the council could lend its weight to support that in some sort of petition or notification or I don't know what the, what the formal way of doing that would be, but you could, uh, you know, throw us for his way behind it and let Betsy Johnson know. And, and Tiffany Mitchell's our houseperson, right? Her too. Um, that we strongly support this. I would encourage the council to do that. Second of all, it's not just plastic bags. The state of Maine just passed a law banning styrofoam statewide, which I thought was just super. And we've been talking about plastic bags and we're making some progress here, but it's far, far greater than that. Some of the most pristine areas in the world, I mean, remote areas far, far away from any factories or refineries or manufacturing, anything like that, are now experiencing microplastic rain. And it's kind of carried through the air. I mean, this is going to be a worldwide issue. And uh, it goes far beyond plastic bags. This, these microplastics are making their way into the groundwater, into our food supply, and ultimately our bloodstream, and the very DNA possibly of our kids, our grandkids, and their kids. We got we got to consider that. And I would like the council, the city, to look at, at going beyond plastic bags. There are single-use plastic straws. And I understand they're talking about that in Salem also. There's styrofoam. We gotta get rid of this stuff. And Astoria can't save the world all by itself, but we can take a stand. And so I would like to encourage everyone and all of you to go past plastic bags and just, just get rid of plastic in any way we can. We gotta make this move. That's you know it's critically important. Is there anyone else who would like to speak? Yes, please. Hi, my name is Jessica Jones, and I live at 733 Alameda Avenue in Astoria. And I am also here tonight um, to speak about a plastic bag ban. Um, I'm a resident of Astoria, but um, so I would support a ban at the city level, of course, and have been communicating with councilors for a couple of years about this issue, just to kind of feel them out. And I've been busy as a volunteer in many other ways, um, but this hasn't been taken up yet. And I agree with Craig that uh, we can support in an efficient way um, what's happening at the state level by uh, a formal resolution from the city or a letter to Betsy, a letter from the city council stating your support as a city council for this. I think that could be helpful for getting this passed faster. Um, a number of other cities around our state have passed bans recently. I'm sure that many of you are aware of what's happening around the world, passing not just plastic bag bans, they're passing, passing single-use plastic uh, cutlery bans single-use plastic cup bands, straw bands, that type of a thing. Some cities are just really active. I think that we could be a little bit more active here in a way, and we can recognize that we can work together 
that the city council can depend on organizations like Surfrider. I'm a volunteer for them. I'm not speaking for them tonight. I am a volunteer with them. I'm speaking as a citizen. Um, and I support very much our city um, at a level of the council speaking to this issue in this time. We're nearing 2020 now. So I think that we can do a good job of speaking up publicly, letting our senators know how our city council feels. And um, I think that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other uh, members of the public that would wish to comment? Ms. Cabin? topics but the first one's easy oh Lori Kaplan 766 <laughs> Lexington Avenue Astoria the first thing is it is such a joy to sit in the back and and listen to all of you really thinking about these issues you've read your packets you have dozens of questions and, and you know it's okay to ask them and to ask for really detailed answers and it hasn't always been that way here and it, it's really just a joy. So thank you, thank you. It's a, it's a really great example that I wish all cities everywhere could, could have people serving as um, generously as you are, so thank you. Second thing, I wanted to remind everybody that their ballots are due for the special district election on May 21st. Last time we had an odd year election, which is every other year, obviously. Um, our turnout in Classic County was 22%, which is horrible. And you know, when, when you think about the people across the world who run, if they run for office, they get killed. If they try to vote, they get killed. And, and we just ignore our ballots. So I hope everyone will vote. If you didn't get your ballot or don't have it by maybe Wednesday, call the elections office, 325-8605 and tell them you need a ballot. And if you make a mistake on yours, you can go up there and get a replacement. So that's my pitch for democracy. And my um, last comment is about um, the plastic bag ban. One of the things we learned is that with uh, some of the people in Salem were concerned that it was just a few radical environmental extremists who wanted to ban single-use plastic bags. So part of the reasons different localities are, are taking these steps to ban bags is to show the legislature that it's not just a few people, but that it's a pretty widespread, nonpartisan, um, non-radical issue. And um, the new um, National Geographic has a section in there showing some of the plastic waste that, that gets stretched up in the oceans. And since we're right on the water, the Columbia and, well, and even Young's Bay and, and um, the ocean, it's, it's pretty scary because it almost looks like a mosaic pattern of stuff that they scoop up and teeny little pieces. And we could look at them and not even know it's plastic. So how we expect marine life to know that they're eating crud instead of food that is working its way into our body. So, I think we have a special responsibility because we're on, on waterways. Maybe it would be different if we were in the middle of Nebraska. But I, I really hope that we can either put this on the agenda to, to ban single-use plastic bags 
or at least to come up with a really strong resolution to send to um, Betsy. Tiffany, I, I think, is the co-sponsor of this, but I might be wrong. So thank you very much. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Yeah, I just, I just like to say real quickly on the bag issue that I'm, I'm all for uh, the bagging of plastic bags. Like I've seen the damage, I see it everywhere. Um, but I have resisted doing it with the city because I felt that we at least needed a countywide resolution so that at least for the businesses that have to deal with removing bags and going another direction, that they all have to do it together and it doesn't cause them unfair competitive advantage. So I was really happy to see the state take it up and um, I've certainly let them know of my support and I will continue to do so. And I would encourage the, the council to, if, there, if the will is here, to put together a resolution of support for what the state's doing at a minimum and, uh, and then continue to have this discussion. Uh, I'm part of a, a group that doing a little citizen science and doing beach surveys. I've got a section of the beach that once a month, uh, my wife and I take a walk down and we take an inventory, a random sampling inventory of all debris that comes in on the beach. And we actually have a pretty clean section, but even within that clean section, there are, you get to see the little minuscule, small stuff that is floating around out there that comes in. And uh, all this, work that we're doing, this work is being done, just so you know, uh, it's called um, COAST, C-O-A-S-S-T, and it's being run out of the University of Washington, and they have surveys happening from uh, Alaska down to uh, Northern California. So they are, and they've, they've started this about five years ago, gathering this particular type of data, and it should be really enlightening to see how that comes out uh, as we move forward. So again, I support, um, certainly support, the state's efforts in banning it statewide, at least as a good start. Yeah, I would um, agree with that. And I, I want to thank Jesse for reaching out to me directly on this issue. Um, I, I obviously feel like a city or county ordinance uh, just isn't enough. So I'm looking forward to it passing at the state level as well. And I think that the reason why that's going to happen is because of, of people like you and your tireless activism and your research and coming up with credible data and doing all of the, the background research that um, sometimes some of us just don't have time to do, uh, even for causes that we support and believe in. So I, I do want to thank you for your efforts um, because again, I don't think that it would be getting the attention that it's getting at the state level without that amount of pressure. Um, and I also want to thank you for the reminder that I can do something myself, that I can voice my um, support for it, and I promise that I will do that um, with our local senator and with Tiffany Mitchell as well. And I'd also like to see if there was a resolution letter or something that the council um, put together in support of, of it passing at the state level. Because I do agree with Lori in that sometimes um, causes can get sort of marginalized as radical is the word that came up. Uh, and certainly this is one that I think is, I mean the data is behind it. It's incredibly 
um, worthwhile. So. Well, we are blessed to live in this beautiful place at the confluence of a big river and the ocean. And um, I believe the council should draft a letter urging our senator, Senator Johnson, to support this, this measure. Uh, I agree with that, I, but I think we need to take a little time to consider what the scope of the, of the letter is. Um, I've had a chance to do some programs on the issue of plastic pollution for KMUN. We have a gentleman down at Seaside, with Sea Turtles Forever, who is uh, very involved in this and has been for years. And some of the things I've learned um, are, are surprising. Uh, a good portion of particularly the microplastics that are making their way through the food chain and so on, are coming from places we would never suspect, our washing machines. When we wash our clothes, the clothing that, that makes permanent press stuff, that doesn't wrinkle, and synthetics and so on, all use microplastics in the process. And as you wash them each time, you're bleeding some of the microplastics into the water supply, which eventually makes it out to the ocean. So I think we need to get a little bit of, you know, we have some expertise locally to help us shape a resolution that's, it can include everything, but it ought to include everything that we can actually have some impact on and see how, how broad we want it to be and then actually urge the state to, to proceed in, in, in that vein. What concerns me is to say, okay, we passed a ban, a ban, a ban against plastic bags when we're done. Because that's not gonna be enough to solve solve the problem. So maybe we can do something more comprehensive than that, but I, 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 I do like the idea of us saying how we feel to the state. It, it won't solve the problem, but we've got to start somewhere. Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what the, the, the timeline is, you know, so uh, for the Senate to where the bill is and how fast it's moving through and when the vote's going to be, but I think that uh, in support, if we're interested in supporting that, that it, it can be still kept work fairly simple and just be straight support, just so that we get that in their hands so that they have that exactly. as ammunition sooner than later. Yes, yeah, so I, I would suggest, since there seems to be unanimous support among the council, that the immediate task at hand would be to simply have a letter entered in the record so that when it goes before the the Senate committees that will review it. It's it's part of the it's part of the record. I mean, I've been told in the past that that's very important that it's part of the record. So, I would say rather than the, the comparable, which I agree with you, the comprehend you know the plastic bags aren't really the problem here. They're just an easy, relatively easy thing to address. They're a tiny part of the problem. But uh, to influence that particular piece of legislation that's currently in the Senate Ways and Means Committee, I believe. Have a letter indicating that the council unanimously supports that piece of legislation and prepared for the five of our signatures and get that out of here uh, forthwith. Uh, so I don't know whether you want us to volunteer draft that or how would you like to proceed, Mr. Estes? Well, I think that maybe um, if you'd like, um, between staff, we can come up with some uh, a, a draft to be able to, um, you know, to be able to prepare, uh, it becomes kind of a question of, uh, you know, wanting to get something that was, that met the intent of what the council would be if you're looking for some, you know, a motion tonight to be able to prepare something to have it signed. It's, if you're wanting to discuss the letter in full, then we need to come back in, in regular session. Yeah. 
uh, to be able to do that. So but do the, the details of a letter have to be voted on at a council no. meeting? Would we simply say, Ty, we, we'd like you to proceed with drafting the letter and then we'll get it signed this week? And I, I look at it that if uh, maybe if you uh, had a couple of counselors that worked with staff uh, to be able to uh, draft this, um, then once it's completed, then we can have uh, Jen Benoit uh, call you individually to have you come in. Yeah, and, so, I, and I would suggest that it be as simple as possible. I'm forgetting the number now. It's HB 2059. 2509. Yeah, 25. So a simple letter that says the city of Astoria City Council unanimously supports an urgent passage of HB 2509. Okay. I agree. So if you want to make that motion, um, then so staff can, can prepare something. Um, and then Mayor will yeah, work with you and, and then sit so I'll move that the uh, about, uh, about four I can make just one tiny suggestion on that. I wonder if our letter could say instead that we are concerned about plastic pollution worldwide and especially about microplastics working their way up through the food system and that we would that we would like the state to to look toward um, um, what we can do to, to help resolve that, including a ban on plastic bags. So we're getting the plastic bag in it, but we're not focusing solely on that. And I'm just afraid that we do that and we're done. So can you recreate that thought uh, later? <laughs> so I would, I would move that we work with the staff works to draft a letter expressing the council's unanimous support for HB 2509 and work with Council Rocca to capture his verbiage just expressed. <laughs> I'll second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. And with that, uh, we're adjourned. Thank you for coming tonight.